Thank you guys so much. Well, friends, if we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're a part of our community of unlikely friends following Jesus together. I might cut this out if it's online, but you got to be a real Christian to show up on Memorial Day. So congratulations to you all. Uh, we're going to continue our series, Wind and Wonder. And our question for today is how do we tell if the Spirit's speaking in our lives or if it's something else? In 2016, a driver crashed into a South Carolina Walmart. They got out of the car just screaming, and when the police arrived, they said that the driver was just screaming over and over, God told me to do it. So were they right? What do you think, okay? That sounds like uh, in our home, when one of our kids does something and says, well, my brain told me to do it, it's like, well, it's not really a, it doesn't hold up in court, am I right? My guess is that all of us are looking for direction, but probably not steering into a supercenter in our car. So how do we decide whether that driver was right or wrong? How do we know? How do we tell whether it was the Spirit of God speaking to them or not? What I hope we'll discover together as we study God's Word today is that the Holy Spirit is confirmed in community. Today, churches all over the world celebrate Pentecost. You can think of it like the church's birthday. The traditional color to celebrate is red. Uh, we've got it up here on the altar. Our acolytes had their red on. And you can think of Pentecost like the church's birthday. And so all of these traditions come from the book of Acts. That's what we're going to be reading from today. The book of Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles. And it's the story of what happened next to Jesus' followers after he ascended back to heaven. The apostles are people who learned directly from Jesus and were sent into ministry by him to carry on uh, his work and his mission. They were in a holding pattern. They were waiting for further instructions. Jesus had told them that he would send the Holy Spirit to them. And so they were waiting on that day. And that day came. They got what they wanted in a major way. We'll start out in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The festival of Pentecost is one of three major Jewish holidays. And it was celebrated 50 days after another major holiday, Passover. So we understand the Pentagon, right, has five sides. Penta is five. So Pentecost means 50. And it was 50 days after Passover. And it was a holiday to celebrate the giving of the law to Moses. We read about that much earlier in the Bible. And when the verse 1 says they, it's referring to the apostles. They were mentioned in chapter 1. It could also include up to 120 of Jesus' other disciples, but uh, it's probably less sure to account for them. We read on in verses 2 through 4. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now, if you haven't connected it before, you understand what our art has been for this whole series. The day of Pentecost, you have an outward, visible, supernatural occurrence happening. It was also an opportune time because Jerusalem was full of people from all over the world celebrating Pentecost. We're going to see more about that in a moment. And so this demonstration of God's power was in wind and flame. First we see a violent wind. In both the Old Testament and the New, 
Wind is a symbol of God's spirit. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus having a conversation with another person, Nicodemus, and he told him this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Fire is also a symbol of God's presence. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush and God led the Israelites in and out of the desert by a pillar of fire. This fire came to rest on those gathered and they began speaking in other tongues. This word tongues in the original Greek is glossa and it means any language, but often it refers to a language that one has never studied and is is like the supernatural ability to either speak it or interpret it, to be understood in it. So what's the nature of the language that the apostles are speaking? The tongues of fire come to rest on them. What's the nature of the things they're saying? We read on in verses five through eight. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Now, later on in the New Testament, that word glossa is used to mean tongues, but it's in kind of a spiritual language. That's different than what we see at Pentecost in Acts 2. They're speaking human dialects. People understand them. And when the onlookers ask, wait, aren't these apostles all Galileans? It's a statement of fact, it's a question, and it's kind of a backwards compliment. Like when I tell people that I'm from southeast Missouri, depending on the part of the country I'm from, they're amazed that I can even put together a compound sentence. <laughs> right? So similar vibe with Galilee, not known for its broad academic cultural reach, right? And so folks are shocked that simple people from Galilee are able to speak in these other languages, I think it's also good news that God uses normal folks to do amazing things. So that they would be fluent in foreign languages is shocking to folks. It's also significant that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, all these different languages are spoken. Right? We have a pretty good idea that those gathered at this episode are largely, if not all, Jewish. Well, they could have spoken Hebrew. That was a language everyone would have understood. And if not Hebrew... They could have spoken Greek. Alexander the Great had spread Greek throughout the empire as kind of this international language of trade. And so everybody there could have spoken Greek and been understood. But the Holy Spirit was acting with intention. We read in verses 9 through 11, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now we've also established that if you read something quickly and confidently, people will assume you're pronouncing it all correctly, right? (laughs) So that's a free tip from me on, on public speaking. So anytime you see this level of detail in scripture, it's, it's really a red flag to pay attention because the, the, the authors were working on a word count. And so all these countries are listed to help us understand that the spirit wasn't just given for the hometown hero Hebrews or uh, the residents of Jerusalem. That God's spirit wouldn't just be for the Jews, that this would be a worldwide international movement, that it was available to everyone regardless of their nationality. And I think the scripture is a, a good reminder that God is not an American. 
Like the first time I heard someone praying in Spanish, I was like, oh, yeah. And we know that English wasn't spoken on the day of Pentecost because English didn't start to form for four or 500 years after this. So I think it's, it's a neat reminder that as Americans, as Missourians, that we are the grateful, even Southeast Missourians, we are the grateful recipients of the events of that day. That the apostles went on to spread this good news throughout the world and that we inherited it. When God poured out the Holy Spirit in a unique way. There's a song that says, the church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame. But even in the face of this miraculous event, this kind of mind-boggling episode, people doubted the origin and the authenticity of what was happening. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So people were skeptical even in the first century. Some would prefer to dismiss the activity of God and explain it away. Methodist founder John Wesley said, thus natural men are wont to ascribe supernatural things to mere natural causes. Even in the most historically significant initial display of the Holy Spirit, there were questions of whether it was legitimate or not. What was the origin and what was, was this authentic? I worked on this all week. Was the source divinely appointed or winely appointed? I was pretty happy about that. And Peter, we're going to highlight this again because Peter gets up to address the crowd. You can think of him as kind of the captain of the team. So as usual, he steps up, and I think his defense is hilarious. This is verses 14 and 15. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. Some people haven't ever heard this verse. His defense is essentially, it's too early for that. I just think that is hilarious. And so the point being, there were witnesses there that day who were skeptical about the origin of what was happening and whether it was real or not. People in the first century have the same dilemma that we do in the 21st century. How do we know if it's the spirit of God at work or something else? And I want to acknowledge that for a lot of people, the Bible falls into that category, by the way. And they, they have a hard time. They wonder, is this something that, that God made or is this human made? As a Christian and lifelong Methodist, I believe the Bible is inspired by God and is all sufficient for Christian faith and practice. Meaning, the Bible gives us everything we need to know for the content of our faith and provides us all we need to know for how to live out that faith. One of our values here at First United Methodist Church is biblical faith. And so I want to begin with the Bible as our foundation for how to sort out whether the Holy Spirit is speaking to you or not. Scripture describes this process as discerning spirits. When listing different gifts of the Spirit, we read that to another, and these parentheses are mine, just to give us context, to another is given the gift of distinguishing between spirits. Another translation says discerning spirits. In the book of Hebrews, we read that part of Christian maturity is training ourselves up so that we are able to distinguish good from evil. In his book titled Discernment, Henry Nouwen says this, 
great book if you're interested in, in reading more about this. Henry Nowen. Discernment is not about judging other people's motives. The one who practices discernment is able to distinguish whether a particular action or message is from the Spirit of God and to assess whether someone is speaking truth or falsehood. Though it is presented by St. Paul, we, we read from his letter to the Corinthians, though it's presented by St. Paul as an individual spiritual gift, as with all gifts, it is to be practiced in community. So we can begin practicing discernment as an individual, but I believe ultimately the Holy Spirit is confirmed in community. So what I want to do is offer you three questions to ask yourself when you're trying to understand, is this God speaking? Is this my instinct? Is this somewhere in between? Is it good or bad? Wherever it lies. Three questions to ask yourself, three filters you can, you can think through. And then I want to add a fourth a fourth question, which will take the discernment of spirits from an individual process to a communal process. So the first question is, whenever you encounter something that you're trying to figure out, is it of God or not? Does it agree with scripture? It's unlikely that the Holy Spirit would inspire you to pursue a line of thinking or course of action that contradicts the Bible, which was inspired by the same source. Running your car into a Walmart doesn't reflect showing love to God or neighbor, so that's going to be a no from me. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So even scripture tells us, test what is being taught. Test what you're feeling and if it's of God or not. Now, Scripture, I wish it was, but it's not this equation that we can, like, punch into a spiritual calculator and, and, and see if we tested right or wrong. So to put a finer point on it, question two gets a little more specific. We can add another layer to this concept. So the first question is, does it agree with Scripture? And the second is, does it reflect Jesus? Jesus came to show us what God was like because Jesus was God and was made like us. If the thing on your mind or the thing stirring in your soul or the teaching that you're testing doesn't reflect Jesus, there's a good chance it's not from the Holy Spirit. Ignatius was one of the early desert fathers and he was a monk and spent time in seclusion in a monastery in the desert. And the writings of, of the, these founders of the faith are incredible. So writing in, I believe, the fourth century, he described scripture like a mosaic of a great king. We receive many tiles, but we don't have instructions on how we should arrange them, on how they go together. And so lots of people can arrange the tiles of scripture to look a lot of different ways and say a lot of different things. And so discernment is the hard work, the complicated work of sorting out how to place the tiles, how to arrange them, and we know we're on the right track when the image of Christ emerges. I just, I just love that analogy. Does it reflect Jesus? Does it look like Jesus? So in addition to running whatever it is we're curious about through the filter of scripture and does it look like Jesus, another question we can ask when discerning spirits is, is it hard? 
Is the Spirit leading you into greater faith, new horizons, and greater growth? Or do we attribute to the Spirit that which would allow us to remain comfortable and complacent? Jesus submitted himself to God, and he prayed, Yet not my will, but yours be done. If we attribute to the Holy Spirit all the same things that help us be secure, we might be off track. You know, the, the thing in my life that, that was such an obstacle for so long was in the Methodist church, you're not in charge of where you move and live and work as a pastor. I like autonomy. I don't know about y'all. And, and so it was, it was getting over that obstacle and trusting that the Spirit would, would lead us where we were supposed to be. That took a long time. And I don't like using examples from my life because it's like, well, okay, you're a pastor. But I'm just here to tell you, for a long time, I, like you, I probably know some things that I should be doing but would rather just kind of put away. And for me, the challenge was it was going to be hard. But really that can be excellent confirmation that the Spirit is calling us into something new. Like if I got up here and said, friends, I feel called by God to win the lottery. Wouldn't y'all be like, that's not selfless, that's not, there's no sacrifice involved. Now as my dad would say, Satan's had that money long enough. <laughs> you know, that, that would be not inspiring at all. Probably not of the Spirit if I'm just looking to buy an island somewhere, right? I've heard United Methodist pastor and fellow Adam, Adam Hamilton, describe what he called discernment by nausea. Mm -hmm. Somebody knows. What's that thing that makes you a little sick to think about because the outcome is unknown? Changing careers, maybe retiring initiating a life change, having a hard conversation. What thing are you considering that the thought of makes you throw up in your mouth just a little bit? There's a good chance that God is speaking through your nausea. Who is God calling you to love that you'd just rather not? You can start there because it's hard. So in addition to these three filters, three questions we can ask ourselves, does it agree with scripture? Does it reflect Jesus? Is it hard? We can also add a fourth, and that brings it from just our questions to the broader community. Do others agree? We can ask ourselves each of the preceding three questions, but I believe the Holy Spirit is confirmed in community. Later on in the book of Acts, there's a big debate over what to do with new converts. Christianity as a religion started off Jewish. Jesus was a rabbi. And so all of the first converts were former Jews. And some would say they considered themselves current Jews, just following the Messiah. But then as, as the, the circle spread wider and wider, as this thing started going global, there were some complications. Because what are you going to have these folks do that haven't been following all the Jewish law since they were born? Wink, wink. What are we going to do with them? So they called this council of, of the apostles and, and leaders of the early church. And in Acts 15, 28, I just love this verse. They say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And so discerning 
the guidance of the Spirit wasn't done in isolation, but in community with other faithful believers. And you can see this pattern lots of places in the church. When somebody feels called to ministry, when they want to be a, a pastor in the Methodist church, the first stop is the local church affirms their call. That's where it begins. That's the first step in becoming a pastor in our tradition. At our church, I don't just go around calling the shots. We got lots of leaders that speak into ministry. and We have a 10-person leadership team to discern the Holy Spirit's direction to the church. Probably one of my favorite things I've experienced in the last year, and in, in, in the last year, what I mean to say is, I've experienced probably one of my favorite things in my 20 years of ministry. And it's people from this church who feel a call to lead and then our job as a staff is just to help them, help them do it, just to get out of the way. It's been incredible. We've had folks feel like they are called to begin all these types of groups. And I'm just going to name a few. We had some folks want to make a group for Alzheimer's caregivers. And that thing has gotten so big it probably needs to, to multiply. We're, we're hearing folks, we got folks driving in from out of town. They just hear about it. We've had folks for which this is not just an issue, but someone they love deeply. And we had, we had a group start for parents and loved ones of LGBT children. Now, however you happen to feel about that theologically, I think everyone can agree that it's hard. We've had folks create a group for business leaders, for moms. I could go on and on and on. It's been great. And so the leader has this concept. They come uh, to one of our staff, sometimes it's Pastor Mitch, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's some combo. And we find out what, what they want to do and, and we discern the spirit. Does it, does it fit within our mission and vision as a church? And when it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, our job is to equip these leaders to live out the Holy Spirit's call on their life. Sometimes that's a Bible study with students at what, six in the morning? Woo! It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I just love that. In a divided age, this show of unity is really powerful, and it's a witness to the reality of the Holy Spirit. That's why the word amen is, is said at the conclusion of prayers. Did you know that? Did you know amen means so be it? It's an expression of agreement. It's a, it's a demonstration of unity. And so we can ask all these questions individually. Does it agree with scripture? Does it reflect Jesus? Is it hard? Then we can use those same filters with other faithful Christians to test if it seems good to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is confirmed in community. Discerning spirits, separating truth from falsehood, testing everything and holding on to what is good is not easy. And I'm not sure if it's ever been more important Man, with deep fakes and fake news and Photoshop and all the stuff we can find on social media, there's a lot of falsehood out there. We're bombarded with it every day. So how do we distinguish good from evil? Friends, you only get good at it by doing it. This is a Fender guitar. And uh, I'm curious as to how much you think a guitar in this condition would sell for. Somebody call out a number. 
2,000. What else? 200. Pretty beat up, right? 2,000. Try $5,700. $5,700. Now, this guitar is not from like 1955 or something. It's brand new. This is made by the Fender Custom Shop, and it's called their Relic line. They make them pre-played. $5,700. One, I don't understand why you'd pay a bunch of money for a beat-up guitar. And I also know some of y'all have had those discussions with your children about their jeans. Right? I know. I'll be there soon. Two, here's why I tell you this. Just because you buy a guitar that looks like it's been played for 50 years, don't mean you're going to sound like you've been playing for 50 years. Right? And I believe the same is true for the spiritual life and the process of discernment. Friends, there's no substitute for doing it yourself. You can't like import someone else's experience or Christian journey and just kind of morph it into your own. You can't borrow discernment of spirits. You've got to do it for yourself. Now the good news is that we don't have to do it alone. That God has given us the gift of this community of faith, of the church, not just our congregation here, but part of the bigger stream of Christianity. The Holy Spirit will guide and instruct us as we seek God's goodness together, not just on our own. Thanks be to God for the day of Pentecost. All those centuries ago, when God showed that grace breaks borders and extends to all the ends of the earth, when the church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame. Thanks be to the God who continues to pour out the Spirit, who continues to speak and gives us the gift of the church. May we discern what is good to the Spirit and to us. Friends, may you be open to the Holy Spirit's leaving, leading and confirm it in community. And everybody agreed and said together, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for the gift of the church. We praise you for the uncountable, unknowable number of things that had to happen for us to wind up here today in the sanctuary in Kearney, Missouri, and we trace that all the way back to the first Pentecost. God, help us to be open to the reality that you speak and you lead and you guide and you comfort. Give us the eyes of faith to not just dismiss things that seem like coincidences. Give us open ears to receive what you're calling us to in small and big ways. God, we know you are speaking. Help us to be open to it, to, it, to be attuned, to listening for your voice through your holy word, through the interactions we have with our fellow brothers and sisters, through fellow Christians, with the events of our lives and out in the world. God, we, want, we long to hear your voice. That we would walk in the path of righteousness like a sheep following their shepherd. God, help us not to shy away from when you are calling us towards challenging things, things that make us uncomfortable, things that bring us out of the familiar and into the unknown. Help us to trust in you 
listening to your voice above all the other competing voices in our lives. God, help us to know the truth in order that we might be set free. Help us to fan the flame of your spirit in our hearts, in this community, as you extend your grace across borders and around the world. God, thank you for the gift of the church where we can discern your spirit in this beloved community. Amen.